Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD for September 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and returning back to the show is Mark Minervini, market wizard, U.S. investing champion, and four-time author now, or soon-to-be four-time author. Thanks for being here, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for having me. On today's podcast, we will talk about the current market, the mindset of a champion, and three current stocks, or maybe more if we have some time. But let's get into the current market. So right now, we are officially in a confirmed uptrend, two distribution days on the NASDAQ and S&P. But when you look at a number of our growth stocks, they're not necessarily acting like they're in a strong uptrend, are they, Mark? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because you have to say the market, if you define it you know, by the S&P 500 and say it's in an uptrend, but then if you looked at the Russell 2000 uh, or even the IBD 50 at this point, which is working on a pretty good size base and I think uh, eventually is going to come up that right side and give us a really good buying opportunity, but you've got a bifurcated market where you really are split and, and it's uh, it's quite an interesting environment. And last week, you know, last Monday, a lot of the the growth stocks they they just got destroyed, right? I mean, so some of these stocks were down eight nine percent, some others even ten fifteen percent. Yeah, you got the Roku and a few of those high flyers were hit, uh, you know, fifteen sixteen seventeen percent in a, a period of two days. It, it was really more of a two day. Uh, sort of quick washout there, although there was some damage in some names. I, I think, you know, there's this question whether growth is done and now we're going to uh, switch over to value and a rotation. And again, this is why you really want to look at the individual stocks and they're going to point you to the direction of what's working. You know, I try not to over-intellectualize it and start thinking about that too much and trying to guess what area is going to do well when I could just look at the individual stocks themselves and you know run my screens I use MarketSmith run the screens whatever comes up you know if it's meeting the criteria uh, happens to be uh, something that's more of a value type name then uh, you know I'm going to be in those type of names but it still has to meet my criteria of course yeah and and uh, maybe you adjust your position size you might not be as aggressive because if it's more, maybe like there are a number of auto stocks that are, that are setting up and, and doing well right now, that could be telling you that, okay, this is not necessarily that growth environment or that really strong growth environment that, that we look for to be really aggressive. Well, yeah. And, you know, you'll take some of these positions and you're going to get feedback. I mean, you're going to you're going to find whether things are working or not. I let you know the feedback from my own portfolio uh, and from my own buy list pretty much tell me or, or, or cue me in on as far as what type of aggression that I'm going to apply in the market. If things are going great, uh, I'm not going to argue with it. I'm going to step it up. And if, if my trading is not doing very well or if not, I'm not finding many ideas, and then I, I scale it back. Once again, I, I say this all the time, but you know, I'm the caboose and the, uh, the market is the engine. And yeah. I just sort of follow along. So let's talk about the, the Russell 2000. Uh, Mark, and I, for those who are listening out there, Mark and I did a, a webinar for Market Smith uh, a couple of weeks ago. And and we spoke about uh, both the, how important the Russell 2000 is uh, to really getting into that easy dollar environment where you really want both the, the S&P 500 in new highs and also the Russell 2000 near new highs. Uh, so, Mark, you mentioned about the Russell 2000 uh, a few minutes ago. It, it's it's starting to it's trying to, to build the right hand side or, or come up over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and you, you know you want participation among 
the small mid-cap names, and you want broad participation, even if it may not be, maybe the small caps aren't doing that great, but you've got mid-caps. Uh, sometimes you get markets where you know large caps are in vogue, but the, the main thing is that you have a broad-based rally. So I'm going to look at the Russell, and maybe you're not, you don't have to hit new highs as the S&P is breaking out, but you certainly want to be coming up that right side. Um, you don't want to have the uh, S&P hitting new highs. The Russell's off 15% off its highs, and you've got uh, you know maybe uh, you know 45% of stocks are above their 200-day moving average when you look at the Nasdaq, and that was the condition for quite some time now. And as you can see, every rally leads to you know, nothing really materializes and you just sort of get whipped around here. Right, right. And and so right now we're we're in that hard penny environment. Yeah. I like I like to refer to, you know, the market as either being an easy dollar or a hard penny environment. Whether you want to call it a bullish market, a bearish market, uh, I just like to look at it as I'm either making money and things are working really well or it's a difficult market where of course I'm going to I'm going to step back and I'm going to scale back and if it's re a really difficult market I'm just going to stay in cash and wait for things to work. So let's talk about patience a little bit here cuz especially for those who are newer uh, you, you know, people feel like you know when you when you're newer to this you feel like you can always generate money uh, from from the market. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, we were just discussing this the other day where, you know, traders feel in this false sense of control because, you know, they're looking at intraday charts and they can trade off of their, their cell phone and there's, you know, very quick trading now and there's no commission and, you know, one second execution. So you get this sense of control, like you can trade every little blip and movement, but then when you look at your performance, you realize yeah, maybe you're not so good at that because you'd probably have a really big return if you were, and few people can do that. You know, I, I recommend that for traders that are trying to trade the, the type of strategy that I employ, a canceling type strategy, um, swing trading, position trading, you get the intraday charts right off your screen and you don't ever look at them again. Uh, they're, they're just costing you money. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. Trade off of the daily charts, the weekly, that'll, that'll calm down some of your activity and you won't be in there, you know, intraday uh, looking at these little blips and thinking that uh, you can trade every move. Do you feel pressure uh, uh, being, uh, having to be in front of the screen all the time? No, not at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm in front of the screen, but if there's, you know, nothing going on that day. And I already get a good idea in the morning, depending on how many stocks are on my, my buy alert list and how many stocks are in position to be purchased. And I'll know if, you know, this is not going to be a day that anything's really going to happen. And I might, as much as I'm, you know, I'm in front of the screen, I might be in the other room and, uh, but, uh, and not really watching completely intently, but, and I have my stops in my alerts. Uh, I have, I have audio alerts that go off visual alerts. Um, uh, so I could be, you know, away from the desk, but I'm, generally in front of the screen, you know, throughout the whole day. And if I'm really heavily in the market, I'm, I'm glued to the screen. Mm -hmm. But the, the action doesn't pressure me at all. I mean, personally, I'd like to trade very little. I want to do the least amount of work and make the most money. Um, you know, I guess when you first get into this, you know, you want to trade, you want to be involved, you want to be a, you want to be a trader, you know, after you're doing it for, you know, I've been doing it for 37 years, yeah. so I'm not in it for the action and the fun of it. It's, you know, it's sort of just my business and what I do and I have a love for it, but it's not the, uh, the day to day, uh, action that I'm really, uh, looking at. <laughs> 
Now, for the participation, you mentioned participation earlier. What what are you looking at uh, there to to get that kind of gauge on on the market? Well, the main thing I always boil it down to is the individual stocks themselves. I run my screens, and uh, you know that tells me pretty much everything I need to know. If I didn't have access to anything else, I could pretty much I could probably time the market uh, quite well just with that information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for many years I was making market calls, um, you know, on TV when I was in New York and I used to go on the, all the TV shows, I made a lot of big market calls, bottoms, tops. And, you know, I get asked how, you know, what, what do you, how do you come up with this? And they thought there was these elaborate indicators, but really it was just when I saw a lot of stock setups, you know, coming out of a correction, I would be bullish. And then when there was a lot of stocks extended and, uh, and that were blowing off in a late stage, you know, I, w- I would turn bearish. And, and that was much more accurate than me looking at the indexes and overbought, oversold indicators and stochastics and MACD and all these things that people are using. Because though, when you use those indicators, they can only be coincident or lagging. Mm-hmm. They can never be leading because they're based on the price itself. Right. So it's impossible. You can't lead the the price when they're being calculated off the price. So they can only be coincident or lagging. But stocks will set up sometimes well in advance of a market bottom. Like for instance, nineteen when the nineteen ninety. Uh, uh, bear market uh, came to an end. We had a follow-through day a few days. I think it was four or five days off the lows. In October, stocks like U.S. Surgical, Amgen, a bunch of these names, they were hitting new highs. And I was buying them, but the market really had not, you know, I hadn't really put its running shoes on yet until I think it was about January 15th when we went to war. And then we right. we built a big base. You saw a whole bunch of cup with handles. Actually, uh, IBD ran a, uh, a on the, on the uh on one of their pages, uh, I guess it was Stocks in the News, it said, cups with handles proliferate. <laughs> and then they showed a whole bunch of cup with handle patterns. And sure enough, you know, that was where everything really started to blast off. That's so cool. Yeah, in, in the end, it, it is always going to be those leading stocks that lead you in the right direction. Uh, so the indices are at new highs, but underneath a number of growth stocks are getting hit. So so make sure that you're protecting yourself. And if you're trying stocks, remember to be disciplined and keep those losses small. Let's take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to talk about the secrets of creating a winning mindset. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, if you really enjoy listening to the podcast every week, We'd love it if you could rate and review the show on iTunes. Your review and ratings really help out the show, and we would love to get your feedback. Thanks so much for listening. Mark Minervini is our guest on Investing with IBD. Okay, Mark, you're about to release a brand new book, and it's named Mindset Secrets for Winning. Now, the cool thing about this book, you've you've written three other books, and they're all about stocks. This one isn't necessarily about stocks specifically, but really has everything to do about trading. Yeah, well, I would say if if there's any big secret behind my success uh, in trading, it's changing my mindset. Because I, when I started investing, and for the first uh, several years, I did nothing but lose money, and it took me uh, almost seven years. I was six years before I was even profitable. Uh, during that time, you know, I just had a completely wrong way of looking at things, and so I decided to study how the great traders 
what they were thinking and what their mindset was uh, because I realized that you know you can you can try to emulate the physical movements of say a you know an athlete or a stock trader but if you're thinking is not aligned with what it needs to be uh, to implement that strategy, you'll self-destruct. You won't, you don't have congruency and uh, you'll, you'll end up, the thinking always wins. You always end up wherever you think that's where you're going to go. So the mindset really is very important. And, and really just getting into your mind's eye and visualizing it and, and uh, really believing that you can become, you know, whatever you want to be, whether it's a monk or, or a great stock trader. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I actually tweeted today that you know you don't become a champion boxer without thinking like a champion boxer any more than you would become a Buddhist monk without thinking like a Buddhist monk or a, a great stock trader without thinking like a great stock trader. So um, you know when I took on the um, what I consider my my big uh, ch- first challenge, and that was when Paul Tudor Jones, when I read that he had five years of triple digit uh, returns, I said, okay, that's what I'm setting my sights on. I want to, I want to top that record. I want to be able to do what Paul Tudor Jones did. And I did it I, five years later. I, I, I did triple digit returns five years in a row. And that's sort of what I got pop- popularized with in uh, stock market wizard. But I studied how Paul Tudor Jones, what he was thinking, how he would, his, his philosophy on risk. And even though I didn't do the same. I didn't even know anything about his strategy, yeah. but I produced similar returns, uh, and that was more based on uh, his uh, uh, his ideas and his concepts on risk versus reward. And and what was his uh, reward to risk ratio? What well, was he usually going for? Paul Tudor Jones likes to have a three to five to one minimum. Mm-hmm. He likes to he likes to risk one dollar to uh, to make three to five dollars. That's his, uh, and of course that that reward is not something that you can be guaranteed of. That's uh, that's a theoretical you know or an assumption of course. But that's what what he's trying to risk one dollar for every uh, three, four, or five dollars that he makes on the reward side. Now, I, th- I think one thing that everyone goes through, especially when you're starting off with this and putting your hard-earned money on the line, because it gets very, very emotional very quickly, is you are – you, you might not even be realizing it, but you're dealing with the pain-pleasure principle and how, and how important that is and how that can guide your behavior. You know, let's talk about that a, a little bit. Yeah, so I discussed that. You know, that's something that uh... – uh, Tony Robbins has talked about for many years and uh, the, how, how pain and pleasure motivate us. And, you know, just to relate it to trading, when I first started trading, I felt a, an, an incredible amount of pain when I took a loss, mm-hmm. just like most people do. Right. When the trade turns to a losing trade, there's this pressure and there's the ego. You don't want to accept the loss. And then, of course, then the stock goes down. You sell it. It turns it back and it goes up. So the next time you know you get at a loss, now you've got sort of this double uh, fear going on, the, the fear of losing money, but then you f- you're you're fearful that if you sell it and you turn around, it turns around and goes up, you're wrong twice now. You right. took a loss and now it went up and you should have held it and now you're wrong twice. So I had this, I had this uh, impression that, you know, a, a really good stock trader had a lot of wins and they were uh, profitable. Very, you know, a, a lot of their trades were profitable. What I found was though, that's not really true. But, some of the best traders are right only 50% of the time in really good markets, maybe 60, 65% of the time. At least that's the, in my case, that, those are the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
probably the best batting average that I'm running usually in a good market is 65%, maybe 70% in the very best of times. So about half of the time you're losing money. So what I had to do is I had to shift and take pain and pleasure and reassign it. So where I assigned pain to losing a lot of money and pleasure to taking small losses to avoid those larger losses and pleasure with sticking to my discipline. So then when I took that small loss, I felt good that I, I stuck to my plan and I, and I, uh, uh, I, I uh, uh, avoided that larger loss. And, and then over time, that just slowly became habit and, and you were just rewarding those, the, the right behaviors. Right. And then after a while, you, you, that, that becomes a habit and it becomes ingrained in you. It becomes second nature. And then, you know, you have a whole different pain pleasure. Uh, like I said, your, your, uh, uh, your concept of, uh, of something that was just the opposite. Now that feels strange to me, you know, for me to, uh, you know, I, I, I've, uh, you know, ingrained this in me for years. It takes a long time. You know, right. you, to, to be a good stock trader, you have to pull yourself outside of human nature. And you've got to, I always say, when you learn to, to do things that uh, are outside of human nature, you become superhuman if you can learn to uh, uh, get outside of that, those normal things that you would feel like, you know, uh, the average person would, uh, uh, you know, would, uh, would do. Um, but, uh, it, it takes a, a thinking that's, uh, counterintuitive for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and you can even, yeah, and you can apply this pain, uh, pleasure principle to many, a number of things. Uh, for instance, what, what do people do when they smoke, right? People continue to smoke because they don't, re they're not going to realize those consequences immediately, usually, right? <laughs> Right. See, pa immediate pain motivates you more than pain that's out in the future. So, for instance, if you, you know, if the doctor told you, you know, if you keep smoking, you know, you're going to die someday, you're going to get cancer. Uh, well, that's not that that's not immediate enough. That that's not in the current moment. So, th that that's not something that's really going to motivate you. But if you were told that, you know, you're you're sick and you know you're you're going to die tomorrow if you keep smoking all of a sudden you change your lifestyle and you start exercising and when somebody has a, a heart attack you know all of a sudden they 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 change they make a big change but when you tell them that there's the risk of that uh you know th that that pretty much is you know human nature um so you've got to bring that pain into the current moment um you know i i stopped smoking years many many years ago when i was younger i smoked mm -hmm. but i started thinking about Okay, well, you know, I want to have children, and 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 you know, and, and I'm going to my 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 mother is going to lose her son, and I started thinking all these things that would be a consequence of me getting sick from smoking and not being healthy, and I brought them into the current moment, and then they made it real for me, um, and that's how I, I you know I shifted uh, that uh, that pain that was way out there and brought it into the current moment. One thing that that I noticed when when going through your book was. Uh, really, uh, you, you constantly talk about emphasizing the positive, uh, yeah, making it a habit to catch yourself doing something right or a victory journal, uh, really kind of train your mind to celebrate uh, the victories and, and not focus on the losses. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, when you attach emotion, you know, to, uh, for instance, if you were to do something you know, uh, that, that you weren't happy with and you get all upset over it, it, that drives it deep into your, into your subconscious and it creates a frame around that moment. And that, that resonates inside your self image 
and you don't realize it, but you're creating a lack of confidence because of that. So you want to minimize the emotion and you want to minimize, you know, beating up on yourself. Nothing more than just looking at it as information. I, I when I do something wrong in the market or I, or I have, you know, I, I make a mistake or I get stopped out of a stock, I try to look at it very unemotionally and just say, okay, what can I learn from this? And ask a good question. What did I, what did I do here? And what is that telling me about the market? What, the, what is that telling me about my process? And be very unemotional about it. Now, when I do things right, I want to celebrate. I want to get very emotional because I want to, I want to attach a lot of emotion to that and build a big frame around that, that, that good experience and that, uh, that positive experience. So that can, that's what's going to resonate in my self-image and make me confident going forward. Uh, but that's the opposite of what we do. When we do something wrong, we go, oh, how, why did you do that? You're so stupid. You always right. make this mistake. Right. How dumb of you. And you just beat up on yourself. Yeah. And then you wonder why you're not making confident moves and you're, and, and, and you're not trading like a champion because you're not thinking like a champion. That, you know, whether it's uh, Michael Jordan, I can assure you, any champion athlete or Olympic athlete, this is how they think. This is how the coaches work to build up their confidence. Uh, these are the techniques. It's all in, all in my book, uh, certain techniques to build, uh, to build the self-image. But uh, is self-image, the mindset, it, you cannot outperform your mindset. You're not going to outperform your self-image. Even if you have ability and you have good tactics, if your self-image is at a four and your skills at an eight, you're only going to perform up to a four. You're not going to outperform your self-image. And let's talk about one more concept here, the the reticular activation system. That This was really interesting about your brain having the ability to filter out most things and, and enable you to focus on specific things. Well, the reticular activating system is is, is pretty amazing. You know, it's uh, – and, and without getting too technical on it, it's basically a, a filtering system in, in your brainstem that uh, filters out noise and is going to present to your attention or your focus the things that uh, uh, basically that you have determined that are important to you uh, are in your, you know, your mental wheelhouse, if you will. For instance, if you go, you know, did you ever notice that after you buy a car in a certain color and a certain model, you see it everywhere? Absolutely, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, it just happened to me. I bought a pickup truck yeah. and, uh, and I bought it in a unique color and then all of a sudden they were everywhere and I hadn't <laughs> even seen it before. Uh, but that's the reticular activating system where it, what you focus on you know, you're going to start, that's going to start showing up. And that's the, uh, you know, the law of attraction concept. Um, and and it, there's good science behind it. It's not this hocus pocus magic. Mm -hmm. uh, things are, are not going to just appear in your life because you focus your attention on them. But you it will reveal the opportunities better when you, when your intention is set and you're, and you stay true to that intention. And the best way to do that, and I, you know, this morning, I, I just like I do every day, I get up and I try to spend uh, uh, some time in the morning thinking about what I'm going to do that day, how I'm going to how I'm going to uh, 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 present myself, you know, in the morning to the market and uh, how I'm going to handle certain situations. And I I sort of get that intention and get my mind set in a direction. So now when I sit down in front of my screen, I've already I've already thought those things out. And now, uh, you know, that reticular activating system could work for me, not against me. That's perfect. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Mindset is everything and the key to success. 
Coming up next, Mark and I will discuss three stocks that are trying to set up in this market. Pick winning stocks with MarketSmith. Growth 250 shows you ideas with big potential. View charts packed with key data. Use pattern recognition to see action zones. MarketSmith by Investors Business Daily. Try three weeks for $19.95. We are back with Mark Minervini. So Mark, let's talk about some current stocks. And the first stock that we have on our list is L3 Harris Technologies, ticker symbol LAX. LHX. Yeah, this uh, this particular name, it's got some really good characteristics when you take a look at the earnings profile and the. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, MarketSmith just added a feature that I love, where you can see the profit margins. Um, I don't know if you're able to show this, but you can take a look at the profit margins along with the uh, earnings and the sales over the last four quarters, and. This is a, a stock that has accelerating earnings, sales, and margins yep. over the last three quarters. And then also, if you were to look at uh, the earnings going back, uh, uh, looking at the market uh, Smith chart here, I can only go back to 2013, so, but that's so the far an, enough. So the annual earnings, right, Mark? Annual uh, earnings, yep. yes. If you look at the annual earnings, looking back 2013 up until 17, you got one, two, three, four years or so where you were stuck right around $5. And then in 2018, it broke out. I call it a breakout year, $6.39. And now 2019, looking at $8.29. And they're accelerating. So you've got the quarterlies accelerating. You've got the margins, the sales, uh, earnings. You've got a breakout year. So fundamentally, you have everything here uh, on this name. Now, it got hit the other day. It was trying to move sideways here. It got uh, it got hit briefly, but it had a really good close. Came all the way back and closed at the high on a day where all these high RS names got hit. So uh, not a very big base, but holding up really well in this market. So this this stock looks like it wants to go higher. Yeah, has a relative strength rating of a 92, uh, right near new highs, and and definitely fighting the trend uh, very very well here. Yes. Let's go to the second stock here, and this is AutoZone, ticker symbol AZO. Now, as most people know out there, that these, these guys are the do-it-yourself car repairs. And uh, now, what's interesting about th this is that this is, this is one of those stocks that does well more in a recession, where people aren't expected to buy new cars, and they're going to keep their cars and just keep fixing it up. Uh, and you've seen a number of, there, there are a number of, uh, auto stocks that have been uh, starting to get close to new highs or hitting new highs over the, the last few months. But what do you see in AutoZone? Well, yeah, you, this particular group has been sort of a bellwether. Um, even in good times and bad times, it seems like uh, they keep uh, chugging along here. It's a later stage name. It's made a big move, and I think maybe the earnings uh, you know, uh, are – tapering off a little bit here in the most recent quarter, but you're setting up in a nice little cup with handle there. Uh, you're near new highs, and it's, it still has the earnings on the table. It's uh, pretty solid across the board. There's not much, uh, you take a look, there's not much selling going on in that base. So I think it's a, you know, I think it's a viable candidate. Yeah, nice steady Freddy that's uh, fighting the market or this volatility pretty well. Uh, the third stock is uh, Lattice Semiconductor, ticker symbol LSCC. And they're, they're a semiconductor, and they're always, you know, this industry is always volatile. But 
the semiconductors are are all well positioned to uh, benefit from the 5G demand that that's going to be coming over the next few years. Uh, what what do you see on the the chart for this stock, Mark? Well, this name has been holding up really really well. I actually bought it on uh, July 9th on uh, seven nine, and then. I held it into earnings. I had a little bit of a cushion there as it went up to about $17. Uh, held it into earnings, got a nice gap, and then I peeled off a good uh, a good portion of my uh, of my trade there. And then I've been holding, uh, you know, the back end of it here, a portion of uh, of my original trade. And I think I'm up about 30 30 some odd percent up around the highs. I was up about 37 38 percent on this trade. Um, but you know, I guess you could probably try to trade it from here if it breaks out. It, it's not the optimal buy point. I think the optimal buy point was when it came above that 1537 mm -hmm. uh, back there in July. However, you know, holding up really well, 99 relative strength. Whenever a, a stock is 99, 98, 97 relative strength, it sets up in a base. I always I, I always consider it because it's telling you this relative strength being that strong and having that much momentum is telling you that something you know is going on. It's just a matter of whether it's going to continue. That's the that's the real question. But uh, you know something's going on here. That's, and, and that's that's positive. <laughs> yeah, and and let's talk a little bit more about this trade too. Uh, you, you had that nice pop. You're up thirty percent, and you peeled some off, but you still continue to have some because uh, you're you're just letting it ride a little bit more because that necessarily hasn't done anything wrong just yet. Yeah. And I, I set my stop. I can actually tell you exactly where it is at this point. It's, uh, yeah, my stops below that 1786 area there. Okay. So, um, if it comes down in, uh, or actually below that 1794, I've got it set in the 1780s. So I'm backstopping it now. I, I, I've moved my stop up. I've already sold some into strength and nailed down a decent profit. And now as the stock moves higher, I'm moving my stop and I'm backstopping it. Not a trailing stop where it moves up with the price. A backstop is just set at a specific price and then it sort of sits there until I decide to move it. And then if the stock moves up from here, I'll move that backstop even more. I'll move it up even more. So in the end, you're just going to let the market tell you what to do, which is a huge concept, right? A lot of people, uh, if, for newer traders, after they got that gap up, they may have been getting in and out of the stock over and over again. But you're more following a plan and just letting the market tell you what to do. Yeah, I mean, the stock was extended there, and I had a pretty good gain in a short period of time. And in a market that's been tough, you know, I'm going to take take some profits off the table when I have them. You know, if I'm coming out of a big correction and this is one of the very first stocks to break out, you know, I'm going to probably hold a good portion of it and I'm not going to sell it all, but I, I, I usually will sell some of some of my position if the stock gets extended and I get myself, you know, a decent gain. If a decent gain is 20, 25, 30% in, you know, in a few weeks or even a few months, that's a pretty good gain and I'll, I'll nail down some of that profit and that will help me finance my risk now. If the stock comes back down and moves against me, I've backlogged some profits and now I'm sort of free rolling the trade and I, I don't have much risk in the, in the, uh, in the trade anymore. What, what what do you say to people when when they say wait I'm up thirty percent now I don't want to sell at this point because it could go up a hundred percent from here. Well, maybe it could. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and at a hundred percent it might go up five hundred percent. So, you're, but you're going to have to at some point <clears throat> make a decision to sell. And you know if you're trying to get the high and that's you know what what your goal is, you're going to be uh, uh, you're going to be sadly uh, mistaken when you're you're not going to see that too often. The goal of 
stock trading, to be a professional trader and to, and to uh, increase your wealth in the market is to make a decent profit versus what you risk and to do it as many times as you can. And mathematically, I mean, you you got to do the math. I mean, if you're a short-term trader and you're, you were a day trader, you might be taking these very, very tiny, tiny uh, profits, but you're going to have to do thousands of them uh, over over a year to get your you know your annual return. And if you were a longer term investor, of course, you're going to take larger gains and maybe even you know relatively larger losses, and you won't have to make as many trades. But the bottom line is is uh, your uh, percentage of winning trades times your average gain divided by your percentage of losing trades times your average loss, and that's the holy grail is is turning that over as many times as you can based on you know how many trades you need to do to get to your you know to your to your goal and and in the end and and hopefully people are out there are hearing this it, it, if the more you plan ahead of time you know the 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 less you leave yourself vulnerable to to fall to your emotions yeah well having rules as many i try to take out as many as much of the emotion as I can and create as many mechanical rules and quantify as many things as I can now you can't quantify everything and thank God because if you could there'd be no opportunity right. so a, there's a portion of this that is art and that is takes skill uh, just like you wouldn't want to see you know a robot uh, bunch of robots playing basketball right it's there, there there's an art to it but there's also a lot of science and, and and physics behind hitting a golf ball or you know whatever whatever hitting a tennis ball with a tennis racket there's physics behind it and then there's the execution and the skill part it the market is sort of is similar to that where you've a lot of things could be quantified but there's still it's it's still an art there's still there's still skill required uh I try to take as much as I can and get as much emotion and as and, and many as many moving parts out of it, um, and, and that's how I keep myself, uh, you know, focused and, and unemotional in these trades. Let's try to get a couple more stocks in here. the The next stock here is ARES, and another one that's fighting the trend mark. Yeah. So again. Like many of these, there's they're not have really any these big bases. I'd rather see larger bases, but this has been holding up really, really well. You can see the relative strength line keeps moving into new high ground, uh, 93 relative strength, and uh, holding up really well even when the market was having a tough time. So again, looks like it wants to go higher. You've got an acceleration in earnings, went from negative earnings a few quarters ago to now you have positive earnings. If you look at the the, the four quarters ago and, and three quarters ago, you had an average of about 5%, five and a half percent margins. Yep. Now you've got an average of about 9% margins. So you get an acceleration in the margins. You got an acceleration in the sales. Uh, so you've, you've got the fundamentals there that are improving and uh, the charts holding up really well. And one final stock, Disney, uh, ticker symbol D-I-S. So Disney does not have the earnings profile that you'd want to see in a real, you know, high octane, powerful uh, 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 growth name. However, you know, they do have some pretty interesting, interesting things going on as far as with their content. And most people know what just happened, how they, uh, you know, pull their content. And uh, um, I, I think there's some good things going on there, but I'm going to let the stock tell me if that's 
the case. And yeah. at this point, I need to get above that 140 level before I get interested. Um, you can see the relative strength line has been lagging a bit here and the earnings aren't too good. So I'd be a little careful with this, but it is a big cap name. And if it should break out here with the market, uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a name that you might get a little leverage on the S&P and maybe be able to outperform the S&P uh, on a trade. Yeah, and, and this one, it, it's slowly consolidating underneath the 50. The key is if it gets back above that 50 on, on good volume, uh, now now might be able to build the right-hand side of the base. Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of look and see what type of category you're in. When you when you look at a, at a stock and you're deciding, you know, what you're going to focus on, whether it's the earnings and the margins and so forth, like a biotech, for instance, 75% of biotechs don't have earnings. So if you're looking for earnings, you're going to miss a lot of the biotech names. you got to trade more on the technicals. When you're in a big cap name like this, yeah, the earnings haven't uh, you know, materialized yet, but there's some interesting things happening here that they're making investments for the future, just like Amazon did for a while. Right. Everybody was bearish on Amazon and their earnings. They, they, they were, uh, their earnings were down, uh, but they were making investments for the future. Come to find out you know, the chart was right uh, yeah. and, and the analysts were wrong. So there are five stocks right there uh, that are hanging in there during this volatile market and worth uh, considering uh, and adding to your watch list. Uh, so once again, Mark Mindermini is coming out with a book, Mindset Secrets for Winning. And Mark, when is this book going to be available for everyone? I know they're stocking Amazon. They're stocking the fulfillment centers right now, and sometimes that takes a week or two. So we're hoping by the end of next week, but I would say within the next two weeks probably. But I, I say that with the... Uh, with caution, because you never know. You never know. It's in. It's out of my hands at this point. So, we're hoping it's uh, fairly soon, because I know a lot of people are eagerly awaiting it. Right, right, and, and it's an excellent, <laughs> excellent book. And thanks, Mark, so much for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. I hope it's been helpful. That's it for this week on investing with IBD. Next week we will have Evan Medeiros, founder of the Trade Risk, at the studio, and we're going to talk about how he automates his trading process. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.